Hello, and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm one of your hosts, Ardena Osban, here with my friend, Chavruta Ann Gordon. Our daf today, Masachat Beitza, daf Lamed Bet, page 32. Well, we've just got a little over a week left of Masachat Beitza. Please pay attention to our announcements about our upcoming Siyam, which, God willing, will be on October 10th. Uh, for timing and registration, please check our Facebook page uh, or shoot us an email. Uh, we'll also email uh, out the information to a uh, previous list of people who have registered, and we look forward to you joining us. Uh, today, we have two missions to share with you, um, and I'm going to start with the first one. So, one is not allowed to hollow out a piece of clay, basically, to make a lamp that you're going to put oil in and a wick, because basically you made a clay, and that's something that you're not allowed to do on Yom Tov. And also, you cannot make charcoal on Yom Tov. And also, you can't cut a wick, uh, because that's also considered to be like fixing a clay. Rabbi Yehuda says he can cut it by burning it in a fire. So in other words, you can burn off part of the wick, but you can't actually, uh, you can't actually cut it. So the Gemara starts off with an interesting discussion about who's the Tana who actually uh, taught this. Um, and, you know, they start off with that maybe it was Rabbi Mayer, and they sort of explore that a little bit. Um, but uh, I'm going to jump to something uh, that was at the, uh, that occurs later on. And basically, uh, you know, first Bar Kapra comes, and he mentions this interesting, right? He, Bar Kapra teaches that there are six halachot around a wick, shloshal achmir, shloshal akel. Three are machmir and three are mekel. Uh, so three are stringent and three are lenient. Lahachmir, what's what is stringent with a wick? Right, you can't spin. You know, basically to make a wick. Uh, and you can't singe it in a fire so that it's easier to light. You can't cut it in two. Those are the stringent ones. Lahakel, what's lenient? You can crush it by hand. So even though you can't twist it into a wick, you can still change its shape. You can soak it in oil so it burns better. And you can burn it by fire, uh, you know, in the mouth of two candles. And then we get this opinion of a Rav Natan Bar Abba. So once we already had a, so we had a teaching of Rav, uh, Rav Natan Bar Abba, uh, which, uh, which appeared actually earlier, not even before this Bar Kappa part, but I just wanted to mention the, sorry, I didn't say this is organized, I wanted to. I wanted to mention the Bar Kappa part because I think it's interesting the way that there's sort of like all these laws just about wicks, stringent ones, lenient ones. But also previously we had quoted a Rav Natan Bar Abba when we talked about a, uh, a, a, uh, uh, he talked about, uh, in, you know, right, that you can, re, you basically can, re, uh, uh, I guess it is you, you can remove uh, the dark part, you can take the singe part, the charcoal part, uh, so that it burns better. That's what you can do. And once we're talking about Rav Natan Bar Abba, they, we learned something else about him, because he's not actually uh, an Amora that we know a lot about. And so sort of they group these things together once his name is mentioned. Vamar of Natambar Abba, Amarav, Atire Babel. So Rav Natambar Abba said that Rav said that the wealthy Jews of Babel, your day Gehenim, they're going to go to Gehenim. 
and why ki ha de shafte bar marinus ikale lebavel. So there was a shafte bar marinus who came to Babel. Ba minu iska. He wanted to do like some business with the people in Babel. Velo yahabele, and they wouldn't do business with him. They wouldn't lend him money. They wouldn't do something with him. Mizune mezin nami lozanuhu, and also they wouldn't give him money. And then here's the interesting part. Amar, right? He said, Hani me Arab grab ha atu. So he says that these came from what we generally call the Arab Ra, which are sort of meant to mean, literally means like the mixed multitude. But the idea is sort of these are not sort of like true Jews. So the Arab Ra were supposed to be sort of some of the Egyptians that sort of the Jewish people picked up in Mitzrayim. And then when they left, you know, these were the ones who maybe were the ones who were more rebellious with Moshe. You know, I don't know, Anne, do you have anything to add to that? Like the Arab Rav sort of is like, kind of like this riffraff. It's not clear if they were totally, fully, you know, a full Jewish blood. Would you explain it that way? I think so. I think also there was, you know, we know that there were very few things that the Jews, in, that the Israelites rather, in Egypt did not take on of the Egyptian culture, including marrying the Egyptians, right? Like if we know that they kept their names and their clothes and their language, so on the one hand, that sounds like they kept all of their own culture. But on the other hand, we know that they also were worshiping Babuddha and they were also marrying out. So I feel like that's part of like, that's the Erefrav, like the people that joined B'nai Israel, but kind of maybe not really. And the people who were, you know, had a, you know, one and a half feet out of the door of being part of the Jewish people who weren't yet Jewish people, the Israelites. Right. So I think that's a thank you for adding to that explanation. Um, and so what he what he basically says here is, is that these were not really like Jews from from Abraham, but they had to be Arab Jews. Uh, so there's a, a pasuk in Devarim chapter 13, verse 18, where it says, and show you compassion of compassion upon you. Right. Anyone who has compassion basically for you know, God's creatures in this road. It's clear he's of the descendant of Avram Avinu. And somebody does not have has compassion on God's creatures. And so the idea here is, is that it can't possibly be that these Babylonian Jews didn't really want to help, uh, you know, didn't want to help Shabtai Baumarinus. Like, it's just not possible. And so therefore the excuse or the teaching here is, is that these could not have been real Jews, right? These had to be Jews whose lineage was sort of uh, tainted in some way so that they did not sort of have, they didn't have the midah, they didn't have the character trait of, um, of, uh, of rachmim, of compassion. So just a very little interesting piece here, but I think many of us have heard this idea that Jews are by nature very compassionate um, and so, you know, to see that in this tiny little story here in the Gemara, I just wanted to highlight it. Yeah, thank you for that. It's always nice to see um, these generalizations brought to life with uh, concrete examples. Okay, I've got this Mishnah on the next Amud. So you cannot um, smash or break um, a ceramic or earthenware um, vessel. You cannot cut paper to um, to roast salty fish, salted fish in the paper. Now, 
when I first read this, of course, I'm thinking paper like, you know, our usual, I don't know, photocopying kind of paper. It seems that this was a much more of a mat that was made out of papyrus, whatever. So it's technically paper, but it's a thicker type of thing in which to roast your fish. Um, so the idea here is that you cannot do this preparation to the roasting of the fish, meaning not that you can't roast the fish, go, go you know, by all means do that, but you can't break the earthenware to, to do so. You cannot cut the paper, you know, and then use these things as the roasting. You can't sweep out um, the oven or the stove, the hearth, I guess. Um, the idea is that if there's something there that might get in the way of the baking, so you might want to sweep it out, but the Mishnah here says you should not do so, but rather you press it, press it down, you know, like kind of um, make the whatever schmutz is there part of the stove itself as opposed to trying to get rid of it. Uh, lastly, don't bring two barrels together so that then you can put a pot on top of it as a support uh, while it's being cooked, like presumably there, you've got a fire there between the barrels and the, this is going to be a wrap, you know, something that you put the pot kind of balanced on the two barrels that are surrounding the fire. I feel like this is, you know, probably it was more carefully done than it sounds like, you know, I have like this cartoon image of the fire leaping and taking care of the barrels, which presumably at least in my head are wood. And that's clearly a bad plan, but I don't think that it was really as crazy as all that. I think that there must've been much more distance between them. And then still, you're still in some ways putting your pot on top of it so that you can, um, that you can cook. But the answer is no, you cannot do that. Do not, I'm sorry. You, you can do the cooking. You can't bring the barrels to be in that position to function as the balance for the pot. So I jumped ahead of myself here. So likewise, the same way that you can't like set up a pot on top of the barrels, don't you can't use a wood to help it stand straight you, to make sure it doesn't fall. And likewise, you can't use a door for this. The last part here, uh, you cannot use an animal with a, you cannot lead an animal with a stick. You can't leave an animal with a stick, which sounds like um, pushing the animal forward, let's say, with the stick, uh, as opposed to like coaxing the animal. Rabbi Elizabeth, Rabbi Shimon, Matir. But Rabbi Elizabeth, Rabbi Shimon says, yes, you can coax that animal forward. Okay. So the question is really, you know, what's going on in this mission? First of all, we have many different cases here in a very short amount of time, which is, I mean, some Mishnah are like this, I suppose. All of them do seem to be um, the same kind of not allowing the preparation for something that is, in fact, allowed to be done on Yantif. Um, so the Gemara asks, my time, why can't you do this breaking of the of the cheres, of the ceramics or the cutting of the paper? Why can't you do that? And the Gemara answers straight up, Mishum mana. That's how you are quite literally preparing a vessel for its use. You are fixing it to be used on Yantif. And the use isn't the problem, but the fixing of it is the problem. Don't do that on Yantif, do it in advance, right? Okay. The Gemara then goes on to talk about sweeping out the oven and how, you know, as long as you can manage it the way the mission describes, and that's great. But if for some reason you wouldn't be able to bake or you're going to really like damage the taste by not sweeping it out well, then you could sweep it out well, fine. The Gemara here then goes on 
um, I'm jumping a bit, to talk about this bringing of the two barrels together. And in this case, it's a whole different kind of pot. Rav Nachman says that if you're using um, large stones of the bathroom and then you're going to sit on them, right, meaning this is the old-fashioned toilet, then that you can do. You can bring those together on Yantif. As opposed to the barrels for the pot, that you can't do, but this kind you can. So Rabbi raised an objection. He says, Our Mishnah says, you can't bring these two barrels together. So Rav Nachman says back, well, yeah, there you're talking about the barrels. And when you're putting them together and then you put the pot on top of it, you're fundamentally making an ohel, making a tent. And the issue then is not so much that you're bringing the barrels together, but the combination of bringing them together and then putting the pot on top of them, which makes a tent. And so while that's problematic, when you're bringing stones together that are then going to function as your toilet, that's not a problem. You sitting down does not make this into a tent. Um, What I do think is particularly interesting here, besides the realia of it, is that the reason that Rav Nachman gives is this tent reason. And he doesn't say because... You know, we have a kavod habriot type of issue. We want to maintain, you know, hygiene, personal hygiene. I would think that that would be enough of a reason, or maybe it would have been enough of a reason, except for that there's a stronger halachic case to be made for the ohel, the tent issue, um, which is a bigger problem. I'm just again struck by like how different these halachot are than what we, you know, tend like everything about their day-to-day life is totally different than ours. You mean because your bathroom's already put together? Yeah, my bathroom's already put together. So I just, you know, it's just, it's so different. And I just think there was a lot of work in day-to-day life that we just don't have. That's how I would, that's what my impression is. And I think that's how I would summarize it. Living, and I think we know that, but the Mishnah really reveals that to us. Like how much effort there was in just doing daily tests. And we don't have to do that effort. I think that's why we have different kinds of jobs today, right? Meaning because we don't have to spend all that time scrubbing and chopping and whatever. Chopping, making lamps, I don't know, making vessels, <laughs> putting, like, we don't have to do any of that. It's already done for us. Cooking on top of two barrels that you had to schlep from some other place. You have an oven, you have, a, you know, we're much less makeshift also. Yeah, exactly. And I think here there was a lot of like, you did things and then maybe use your wood for one thing and then you used it for something else. Um, so uh, we'll see what unfolds for these last couple of DAP and, and Beta. That's our DAP discussion for the day. Thank you for joining us. Rank us, review us where you get your podcast. Come talk to us on our Facebook page and tell us what you think about these new innovations in our modern life. Thank you to Rabbi Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hadron website. And until tomorrow, go and learn. Mm-hmm.